and you're welcome to Encore. What would James Joyce's women look like today in 2022? A Roscommon writer's second novel sees an investigation into loan sharking go badly wrong. And the Drew House Band, they're back with Phelan instead of Ronnie at the helm. And that's just some of what is to come on tonight's Encore. Well, you're welcome to Midlands 103's dedicated arts show with the best of what is happening in, around and about culture and the arts in the Leash, Offaly and Westmeath area every Thursday night between 7 and 8 o'clock. Encore at midlands103.com is the email address. I'd love to hear from you, so please do get in touch. Tonight on the programme, an exhibition of photographs... Ulysses in Bloom and it opens officially tonight at the Atrium at Mullingar's um, County Buildings there on Mount Street and it features the work of Tom Lawler. Tom is an internationally renowned photographer and photojournalist and he'll be telling us about that commission to take those photographs and create a book, what has become a book, Ulysses in Bloom, featuring those stunning images of women taken from Uh, interesting quotes and inspirational moments in James Joyce's Ulysses, which, of course, is 100 years old this year. Owen Egan joins us to talk about his second novel. He's a crime writer. He's from Roscommon. And his first novel introduced us to Sharona Waters. The second continues her adventures. And we'll be looking forward to hearing from Owen about the writing of that. And of course, it's publication. It's been taken up by a traditional um, publisher for the second book. So congratulations to him on that. He is two thirds of the way through a trilogy, the Gainstown trilogy, and he'll tell us all about it. And finally, and after the break, I will be chatting to Phelan Drew. And Phelan Drew is the son of Ronnie Drew, and he is bringing a show called The Drew House Band around the country at the moment. But the first stop in the Midlands is going to be in Burr, and that is on uh, next weekend. So he'll be chatting to us about some of the songs and the stories that he will be telling on that particular night as part of the Drew House Band's um, event. And as I was chatting to him recently, I asked him, I said, well, what song would you like me to play from the Dubliners that you think uh, is particularly apt or poignant? And he asked me to consider McAlpine's Fusiliers. Why? Because he said there is no singer more associated with it than Ronnie Drew and also because it's one of the songs that will be, be with, that will be performed at the show. And so here it is, the Dubliners and McAlpine's Fusiliers. And there you have it, McAlpine's Fusiliers from the wonderful Dubliners and we'll hear a little bit about the story of the Dubliners on the programme a little bit later on. Tiny few little pieces of news that I wanted to bring for, to you. First of all, Athlone um, Musical Society are bringing their musical All Shook Up, the music of Elvis Presley. Now, what a promise that is. It is coming to the Dean Crow Theatre from June 3rd to 6th. Um, and that promises to be a tremendous show. Such performers and such uh, skill they have in Athlone Musical Society Also, um, a new musical, brand new musical, and you'll have heard it mentioned on the programme in the last couple of weeks. It's called To the Dome. It features the transition year students of the community school in Mount Melick. And that is on uh, tonight is the second and the final night of that show that's happening. If you fancy getting across to it. 
Kuige is a brand new festival that is coming to Westmeath and it's one you want to C-U-I-G-E have a look for it on Facebook because it's on in a couple of weeks time we will be chatting about it in a couple of weeks on the programme but put some of the events in your diary five days of different kinds of events all happening in Mullingar and also uh, coming up later on in uh, Mullingar, the Mullingar Music Fest featuring a variety of different local bands, live music at the stables. I want to congratulate um, a leash student, and that is Katie O'Neill, who is a sixth class pupil from the presentation Port Arlington Primary School, who was... Um, the winner in the 2022 Something Fishy National Poster Competition. It's organised by the Inland Fisheries Ireland uh, organisation and they did receive artistic entries from across the country and Katie has received this special judges prize. So congratulations to her on that. We are going to take a quick break and when we come back after that break, you will have the opportunity to hear from Phelan Drew about his dad. Ronnie Drew. Stay with us on Encore on Midlands 103. Still to come on Encore this evening, we catch up with Sharona Waters in the thick of it in Midlands crime and an exhibition in Mullingar's County Buildings asks us to look at the women of Ulysses as they might be seen today. Well, the Dubliners were famous and infamous. The songs, the legends and the concerts have found their place in history. And on June 10th, which is tomorrow night week, Phelan Drew is taking the Drew House Band to Burr Theatre. And there he will have some of the stories of his old dad. A dad he has very fond memories of, as he was telling me recently. I spent an awful lot of time uh, in my father's company uh, over the years. So I, I, um, I heard... Um, a lot of his stories firsthand, you know, and they're the kind of stories that I'm I'm sharing with uh, with audiences as a as a as we tour around the country, um, and um, and some you know some more personal anecdotes uh, as well, you know. Um, but uh, it is nice now and again, you know, when you meet people and they share a firsthand experience, um, you know, it is it is lovely. And those experiences were, for many people, larger than life experiences. Was he a larger than life dad? Uh, he was. Uh, he was just my. He was my father. You know what I mean. Um, and he was. Uh, he was very loving. Very. Uh, very. Uh, he was a great provider. And um, you know, he he did uh, what you know dads did in that age, uh, day and age. Uh, you know, and um, but he was away a lot. Um, and my mother was, uh, was a very strong, uh, person and, uh, she kind of kept the show on the road. Uh, I suppose he was, uh, larger than life in that, you know, <laughs> you know, than normal, I suppose, uh, you know, because he was known, uh, by, by so many people, you, you couldn't walk, you know, uh, if you, if you were, uh, outside of, you know, Greystones where I grew up or, um, Dunleary, you know, he couldn't walk more than 10 feet without somebody saying hello to him or stopping him for a chat, you know. So that's kind of what I grew up with. And I very, I just accepted it. That that everybody else had a little part of him as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, he, he, he loved the country and, um, you know, he, he seemed to have a, a kind of a real connection with people in the countryside. You know, he had a real love of, uh, of nature. And uh, and an appreciation of people who uh, you know who worked on the land, 
and um, you know, I suppose one of the one of the nicest comments that I, I ever heard anybody say to him was a woman came up to him and just said very simply, "Thanks, Ronnie, for all the uh, all the years of entertainment." You know, and and I think that's what the Dubliners did uh, so well, and what what my what Ronnie did so well was that they kind of, you know, they were so. Uh, the, the energy was so electric uh, at, a, at a, a Dubliners concert mm. that people just completely uh, forgot about whatever was going on in their personal lives, and uh, and they just felt completely transported. Um, and Ronnie had a, a you know a great uh, way with an audience. You know he was a, an incredible uh, communicator. Mm. Um, yeah, he was uh, he was a one off. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, when you mentioned that that phrase was a great communicator. That that value of communication has seems to in in that particular way that a that a raconteur, that a man with a presence would have on a stage, seems to have to have vanished a little bit. Um, yeah, probably. well, he was a great listener as well. Mm. You know, he he loved uh, he loved to meet. Uh, you know, it didn't really matter about. He wasn't overly sort of. Um, he didn't seek out other famous people. He was uh, as comfortable, if not more comfortable, uh, in the company of somebody who who just was an interesting person and had a story to tell. And he was a very good listener in that way. And that's how he picked up an awful lot of his songs and stories over the years. Tell me about your own singing voice, because you will be doing a bit of singing. It's not entirely your most the place where you're most comfortable, would that be fair to say? Uh, no, I'm very comfortable singing. Uh, it's just that I suppose I'm not I'm not known for it as much. Okay. I spent all my life working as an actor, you know. Um, but in the last number of years, uh, you know, I've crossed over into music more so. Uh, when I did um, The Risen People at the Abbey, uh, there was a lot of music in that show, Um and, um, and you were in once as well, I think, weren't you? And then once, uh, once uh, a new musical at the Olympia for three successive summers, and um, that was uh, that was a wonderful experience, and 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 a sort of like a, a crash course in, you know, ensemble singing and uh, and, and and making music, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, and you know, since the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I've just, I, I, I suppose I've, I toured a couple of one-man shows and, you know, I've done a few plays before the pandemic. Uh, I did The Cripple of Inish Man at the Gaiety, mm. which which was very successful. And uh, and I look forward to doing more uh, more acting. Uh, but at the moment, um, I'm, I'm sort of touring this show and, and, uh, and, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm just enjoying uh, using... Uh, all you know, all of all of the the little tools I have in my toolbox, yeah. you know, and uh, and exploring the music end of things more uh, as I get older, um, and uh, and it's it's uh, it's very satisfying. And what makes now the t- the the right time to be bringing the 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 Drew House Band on on tour, telling those stories and singing the songs? Well. You know, I've said it before. I kind of I couldn't really listen to you know uh, to to the Dolaners and and Ronnie for a long time because it was just a little bit too. Um, uh, it was heartbreaking to listen to them, and you know, uh, and then as 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 the years have gone by, I've I've sort of listened to their 
old albums again and I'm hearing songs that you know I'd almost forgotten about and 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 forgotten how much I love them and um so I've sort of been developing this show over the last uh I suppose it's uh getting on for 4 years um you know we we were working on it on and off uh doing the odd little show here and there um before the pandemic and the idea was to take the show out before uh, the the pandemic struck, uh, and obviously, you know, that wasn't possible for the last two years. So uh, now is is uh, is the time, really, you know, and uh, we're just uh, uh, hoping hoping people feel comfortable enough to come out and come into the theatres uh, and, uh, and 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 attend shows and support people, you know, who are you know traveling around the country trying mm. to. Uh, get back to some semblance of normality you know absolutely so it's a, it's it's a show with obviously with the with the songs but also a show about stories so to finish up you might tell us a story tell us what tell us one of the the yarns or stories that is particularly close to your own heart well i mean you know like you know I, there's there's stories about you know my my dad <laughs> i remember going you know going into my father and and i suddenly got this this desire to to learn you know to kind of um to to know a little bit more about you know science and astronomy i had a friend who was uh, very into science down the road and uh, i felt uh, i felt that i needed to up my game and uh, i was only about 6 or 7 at the time and i remember walking into ronnie he was sitting at the kitchen table and i said to him dad you know i said uh, you know the sun and he said yeah and i said uh, and i said you know the moon and he said uh huh and I said, where does the sun go when the moon comes up? And I said, when the moon comes up, where does the sun go? And he was reading the newspaper at the time, and he folded the newspaper very carefully, and he put it down on the table. And he said, Phelan, don't ever ask me a question like that again. <laughs> and um, I said, uh, but Declan's dad, and he says, well, go down and ask Declan's dad, you know? Um but, you know, there's lots of other stories as well, you know, uh, about Ronnie and Barney and, you yeah. know, Ronnie and Luke and mm. Kieran and John, uh, you know, lovely stories that I've picked up over the years. And, uh, yeah, I'll be sharing those and uh, and some and some songs from the Dubliners back catalogue and also an eclectic mix of, of material that, uh, you know, informed my taste in music because of of, of, of uh, Ronnie's record collection. And that's Phelan Drew. And you can catch the Drew House Band at Burr Theatre on Friday, the 10th of June. After the break, we head to the other side of fear with Roscommon crime author Owen Egan. Stay with us on Encore on Midlands 103. You're welcome back to Encore this evening and I'm really looking forward to bringing to you after the break a little bit later in the programme an interview that I did earlier on this week with Tom Lawler and he's a photographer and he is the man behind Sirens in Bloom which is an exhibition of photographs from 2022 or thereabouts telling the stories of some of the women in Joyce's Ulysses from a hundred years ago and I think uh, he's a really interesting man speaking very passionately on the subjects of photojournalism the roles of the journalist the, the, the role of photography and indeed the, the Bloom collection so to speak it's called Ulysses in Bloom um, and looking forward to, to bringing that to you a little bit later on but we're going to stay on the subject of um, books because oh, there is also a book to go along with the uh, exhibition of photos in Mullingar's atrium and um, 
But Owen Egan is a man who's been on the programme before. He is a crime writer. And a couple of years ago, he brought us the first book in his Gainstown trilogy. And tonight he's here to tell us a little bit about the second book. The first was called Hiding in Plain Sight. And the second is The Other Side of Fear. And it features Sharona Waters and... Uh, when I was chatting to Owen recently, I began by asking him to tell us a little bit about the character of Sharona. Yeah, Sharona um, appeared in uh, January 2020 in Hiding in Plain Sight. And she's, um, she's a young art graduate. And in the first book, she discovered a multi-million pound um, art scam that was going on. But what she didn't realise was that the, the art dealer, the guy that owned the, the art gallery, was actually a serial killer. So she was trying to figure out an art scam and she was putting herself on a on a trajectory with um, with a serial killer. So uh, she just barely escaped with her life. I realised that, that uh, I wouldn't be able to tell the full story and I'd, I was going to write a trilogy. There, there would be two more books. So the second book, The Other Side of Fear, starts exactly an hour after the first book finishes. And um, Sharona, this time, is she's, she's digging into, a, into a, um, a loan shark called Desi Dolan. She has split up with her boyfriend, with an ex-boy, with a guy, because um, he was involved in gambling. And Desi was, was given the money for, for gambling. So she decided that she was going to bring this guy to to justice. Yeah. And then a young woman disappears. And again, Sharona finds herself in trouble because what she doesn't know is that Desi has has got himself involved with um, traffickers and drug dealers from um, Eastern Europe. So she now finds herself caught between both crime and conscience, and she's, she's pursued by, by powerful and, and ruthless criminals. And it just it's going to take one wrong step and her whole world will crash down. So and that's really what the second book is about. And it's all set here in the Midlands? Yeah, the two books are, are set in the Midlands. It's a really, really long story, Claire. Go on, tell us. I set them originally in America and uh, in between North and South Carolina in a place called Gainesville. And I didn't particularly, uh, the story was okay, but I just didn't know enough about North and South Carolina to set the story there. So I brought the whole thing, this is back 2016, 2017, I brought the whole story back to England and set it in the north of England, and it still wasn't right. And it was only when I set the book in Ireland, in the Midlands, which I'm, I'm from the Midlands, so I know it very well. Um, and then I set it in January and February, um, and I, I had a really, really bad uh, snowfall in the book, and I used that weather as as another character. So, yeah, it took me ages and ages to write the first book. The second one was very, very well. It wasn't easy to write, but it was simple because I had a lot of it in my head before I even yeah, sat down to write. Yeah. As I was bringing those characters around the around the world, from America to England to Ireland, I knew them intimately clear. I knew everything about them. So it was a pain at the time, but in hindsight, it was brilliant because I knew every single thing about those characters. They've been in my head for seven or eight years now. Um, 
So it's easier to write them when I know of them. I, I suppose for those of us who are living in the Midlands, should we be looking around ourselves a little bit more carefully for all the signs of crime that you have been unveiling in what we think is our comfortable, quiet, relatively quiet surroundings? To say it's been said that there's a psychopath in every in 10% of the population, we, a lot of us have psychopathic tendencies, but actually never put them to, to that use. But small towns and urban areas, um, it's a minefield. There's, there's gossip and there is all kinds of things going on that we can turn a blind eye to. Um, and in cities, people do turn a blind People can uh, be murdered um, next door to somebody in a city and they don't know about it. Whereas in the country, it can happen, it does happen, but it affects the whole uh, hinterland because we're all either related or we know each other in the country. So if something bad happens to a neighbour or somebody a mile down the road, it affects everybody around. Mm. So, yeah, we we have to be... And, and that is going on. You know, the, somebody wrote, I think it was Derek Lewis, some guy wrote about the value of the squinting windows years and years ago. Brinsley Sheridan is, here in, in, in Westmeath in um, Delvin. Yeah. Delvin, yeah. Delvin, yeah. And, and that's, that still goes on. And, I mean, people will look out the window and say, oh, there's no, there's, no, that, there's, there's no smoke coming out of Mary's chimney this morning. I wonder, is she okay? And instinctively, we do look after each other in the Midlands, in the country, generally, in the countryside. You're a massive reader. Um, and I know you've converted your garage into a library to floor to ceiling, <laughs> book spaces. Tell me, what, are you, what do you look for as a, as a writer in a book that holds your attention? I did. I'm, 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 a, I'm a hoarder. Uh, I, I hoard books. I still have my, my Enid Blyton and Harney Boyd books from when I was um, 12 or 13 years of age. Um, yeah. What I want is a fast start. Uh, I want something that's going to grip me straight away. Um, and I want something that's going to keep me going for at least 70 or 80 pages. And once I'm invested then, I'll, I'll, unless something really silly happens, like in a crime novel, that something science fiction or something mad happens, um, I will read to the end. But the first page, the first line, the first paragraph, the first page has to hook me in. And I don't think that's just me, Claire. I think that's, that's anybody, regardless of the genre, regardless of what's happening. Um, nobody wants mundane. We, we spend our lives doing mundane things. And nobody wants to be told, well, I went to the shop and I've done this. We do that every single day. So whatever happens in the book, it has to be, it has to be realistic. But it has to be multi- multiplied by a hundred or a thousand to what we do normally. Um, and that's what grabs people's attention. That's what grabs mine. And good start. Good fast start. A good fast start. Um, and in terms of character, what, what keeps you going with character? Because you are now a writer of series fiction. Um, and we've had Sharona now for two novels. We'll have her for a third. And who knows where things will go then. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, the characters... Sharona was in my head from the very start. Her name has been in my head for the last um, 12 or 14 years. 
even as I brought them around the world, the characters changed, as I said, from North Carolina to England to Ireland. Yeah. But Shrona Water stayed. There was another guy, um, Hugh Fallon, and he's, his name stayed the same. And there was another character called, he's now called um, Ferdia Hardyman, but he was called Freddie Wilberforce at one stage. <laughs> he was called... He was called Ushin at one stage. But as I changed them around the world, I couldn't have a, an Ushin um, in England, a character, an English character called Ushin. So as the names changed, uh, that was another reason I got to know them so well. Mm. But yeah, Freddie Wilberforce became... Um, Freddie Hardyman. But, but Sharona has always stayed the same. Characters are so important. I start with a character. A lot of writers will start with a plot, um, a murder, whatever. I start with the characters and build the plot around them. And is so that something you I picked up in, in Maynooth or is it something that, that's a general interest for it's, you? It's just, it's just something that works for me. Um, and it mightn't work for everybody, Claire. But I know my characters now so well, and that's not a boast. I've been living with them in my mm-hmm. head for 12 years. And I know what these people, I know what these characters will do. And I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes they they talk to me and say, I would, there's no way I would do that. There's no way I would do that. Or you're not pushing hard enough. You need to push me a bit more. Um, there was an English, there was an English um, author, and he said, I put my character on my shoulder. Whatever character I'm writing about, I just put that character on my shoulder and I walk around and they tell me what, what's happening. They, they tell me what to write. And I, I kind of get that. And you have to, if you know your, your characters well enough, the story will unfold around them. That's, that's what works for me, um, Claire. I, I, just, I prefer to have the characters and, and plot are the two ingredients in a novel. But for me, the character probably edges it a little bit. And then the plot will work around them. And you can follow the adventures of Sharona Waters uh, in the works of Owen Egan. And as I said, that book, the second one in the series, the Gainstown trilogy, The Other Side of Fear, is now widely available, written by Owen Egan from Roscommon. Um, bringing a bit of crime to the Midlands there is nothing like it we're going to take a quick break and after that we'll be chatting to Tom Lawler photographer about Ulysses in Bloom at the Atrium in Mullingar stay with us and you're welcome back to Encore Sirens in Bloom is the title of an exhibition of photography that is currently hanging and will be uh, officially launched tonight in the atrium at Mullingar's County Buildings. The exhibition goes on until the 17th of June and it is by the photographer Tom Lawler, uh, an internationally renowned journalist and photojournalist. Photographer, indeed, and a photojournalist. Um, and he has been telling me a little bit about the commission to do that work, telling the story in, the 20, in 2022 of the lives and how they might look, some of the women in James Joyce's Ulysses to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Ulysses this year. And when I was chatting with Tom recently, the first thing I asked him um, was about the role of photojournalism, how he sees that in 2022, given that the role of the photojournalist is so important in telling stories of war around the world. One of the most important things today is that 
all photojournalists must be honest witnesses. And that's very, very important now with the capacity for photographers to alter photographs through Photoshop and other such uh, facilities on their computers. It's very, very important that picture editors understand the source of the imagery, where it's coming from, and you know that it's coming from an honest witness. That's very, very important. Does it worry that we have so many citizen journalists and citizen photographers who who may not have had the the the, the training? Um, no, not really. No? I think it's wonderful that um, I think it's wonderful that the um, the population, particularly uh, young people today, are documenting their lives. Now, there's probably a certain amount of similarity between the images that they're taken, but I think it's great that people are documenting their communities their societies, what's going on. I think if they're documenting, let's say, for example, life in the factories, in the fields, in the schools, in the universities, that can only be a good thing. The problem comes is when truth is involved in it. Can you believe that what you're looking at is a true image, that it hasn't been constructed, set up, or photographically adjusted through Photoshop? You have been a photojournalist and a photographer for a very long time. You were a uh, photographer of the year way back in the 40 years ago, is it now? Um, what has changed for you in that <laughs> time? Say, I was photographer of the year when um, the world was in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one thing that has changed. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's in glorious colour and uh, it's terrific. Um, I think what has probably changed nowadays is that um, when I was uh, a photojournalist, you were covering everything in human life from, let's say, sports, politics, news, features, travel, the arts, all these different elements you were covering. Nowadays, you have a range of photographers who tend to specialise and that makes their work. I mean, you just have to look at the sports pages of uh, magazines and newspapers to see the astonishing work that some of them are producing from sports. And if you think, for example, that sport is um, it's kind of repetitive choreography all the time, like one game is similar action to another. All these things are predictable. But yet again, the skilled photographer is able to pick out exclusive moments that are really entertaining and uh, terrific to see. We're also seeing the role of the, of the photographer being reduced in a lot of local media, particularly where journalists are being expected to take photographs to reduce costs. Is there a, are you concerned that we might see, or how concerned are you, if at all, that we might see a reduction in the quality of photography and the uh, you it, will, its, its with, value? Without a, yeah? yeah, without a doubt you will. I think of journalists, you see, the journalists, if, for example, you're, um, you're a reporter and you're listening to the words that someone is saying and you want to quiz them on it and you supplementary questions, noting what they're doing, a photographer is just hypnotized by the way they look. He's watching for the gestures, all these things that make a picture an exclusive image or an exclusive insight into the subject. But if you ask a reporter uh, to take photographs, he's simply going to sit stand them up against the wall and take what can only be described as a passport-style image of the subject, not putting any creativity into mm. it, and not particularly looking at the environment that the person comes from. 
if they're a man of the field, if they're politicians, if they're religious people, if they're doctors, if they're students, looking at the environment that they work in. A photographer will be ten, tends to look at the whole package, where I think the journalist is listening exclusively to what they say. Well, when you talk about the photographer being hypnotised by what they're seeing, I think that segues us nicely into the collaboration that you've been involved in with the James Joyce Centre and uh, Soulaire Gallery. Will you tell us about that and, and the work that is hanging on the walls of the atrium of county buildings in Mullingar at the moment? Well, I can tell you, Claire, this is probably one of the most exciting assignments I've had in a long, long time. Um, Doreen Gallagher, she's a director in the James Joyce Centre in Dublin, and Leo O'Connor, he is a Suler uh, editor. They approached me and we started to talk about how could we mark the 100th anniversary of the publication of Joyce's Ulysses. So we went off and put our thinking caps on and I came up with the idea of looking at the women that are in Joyce's Ulysses and seeing if there are contemporary parallels today as to what Joyce is writing about. And it didn't take long for us to find it. Um, it was a terrific assignment. What we did was, we went through Joyce's Ulysses. I read it years ago. Mm. So I revisited the book and I went through it looking for words that would depict images to me. Short little descriptions that I could turn into pictures. And what we produced is a very exciting exhibition of 20 images and when you go to see the exhibition, and you should go to the atrium in Mullingar to see the pictures, you will see the quotes that inspired the images. And that's very, very important. That's what helped what it came from. And then what? You've got the quotes, you have the ideas, and then there is the creation of the images. Talk to me about that process for you. Well, what you simply do is you would simply match women I would know to the themes that I'm photographing. You would discuss the theme with them and then you would make the picture. And they're all women that you know? Oh, yeah. I, they're, and they're really interesting photographs. I've seen some of them online and I, obviously they're much better to see in, in person. Um, but there, there's, there, there's real intimacy about some of them and real curiosity in others. Um, are, are, there, are the women in your life, are they people that you know in a casual way? Are they people you're related to? Are there people who, who work as models? Um, no, there are no professional models okay, in, in, that's in, in the book. No, they're all, as I refer to them as real women. They are people that uh, I would have had to find or people I would have known. Hmm. And happy to be immortalised in art. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you'd have to be to, you, to collaborate like this, you'd have to have a taste for the arts. You would have to be a creative. You'd have to understand processes. You'd have to understand what's trying to be, what we're trying to achieve with this. It's really interesting to think about that then as not just the individual photos in and of themselves, but the fact that you're curating almost as you go. Are there photos that didn't make the cut or are there images that you discovered weren't going to work? Um, not really, no. Um, we were quite brutal in, uh, in, the, in the selection. I wasn't going to make a picture if it wasn't going to make the book. It was as simple as that. I wasn't going to waste people's time and I wasn't going to waste my own time. So how would you describe the, the feel of the exhibition for an audience who's sitting at home thinking, I wonder will I pop along to that? What will they expect? What can they expect to see there? 
Well, first of all, they'll find it very entertaining. They'll find it very entertaining matching the quotes to the photographs. I think they they should they, they get great enjoyment out of that. And then maybe it will prompt them to dip into Joyce's Ulysses, which is well worth a visit at any stage. I think they'll see the humour. There's humour in the photos as well, and oh, there yeah. is a nod to the, the Joycean sensibility, of course, too, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's one picture in particular that I loved where he's quoting, we saying that there was one woman, Nosy Flynn, she said she hid herself in a clock to find out what they do be doing, but be damned, but they smelt her out and swore her in the spot, a master mason. So I had an idea that I would photograph this woman inside a grandfather clock. <laughs> it was impossible. People who own grandfather clocks are very protective about them. Of course. So I had to make, I had to photograph the woman as if she's stepping out of the grandfather clock. And they, I, I, I can recall that picture now. And the, the setting for that photo, the room in which the um, grandfather clock is located, is a beautiful room as well. It is a beautiful room. It's a hotel in Dublin. Ah. Deep screen. Very good. So this is, it's, it's, a, it's a project you were inspired and delighted to work on. Is it one oh, that you're absolutely. proud of now as you look back on it? Or? Oh, pure joy. I, I loved every minute of it. It was great working with, with such terrific women. Well, I just wanted to draw your attention to the cover of the book and a picture that is in the exhibition. And that depicts Millie Bloom, who's the daughter of the Blooms. And she was sent down to Mullingar to work in a photographic shop. And the photograph we have taken there is of a girl, and she's photographed in Mullingar Railway Station. And it's the underpass from one side, from one platform to another. But I think you'll agree it's a terrific shot. It's the cover of the book. It's also in the exhibition. It's depicting Millie Bloom in Mullingar. And Tom Lawler's exhibition, Sirens in Bloom, continues at the atrium in Mullingar's community, uh, county council buildings, indeed, until the 17th of June. And that is it from Encore for this evening. Thank you very much for the pleasure of your company. The great Joe Cooney, as you know, will be in this hot seat from 8 o'clock until 10 o'clock with the best, as always, of Irish and American country music. I'll be back in this seat again next Thursday night. And I'm really looking forward to speaking to Frank McNamara because he is... um, Tinkling the Ivories as he's working away his way around the country on tour. Uh, he'll be in Burr next week, I think, or the week after. We'll be chatting to him. Um, and obviously lots more to come on the show as well. So in the meantime, can I ask you to please take care of yourself. Good night. <laughs>